Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. Today's conversation is with Natalie Nagel, the co-founder and CEO of Wildbit. Wildbit is a bootstrapped, independent, people-first software company that she's built over the last 20 years with her husband and co-founder, Chris. Now entering their third act, Wildbit is starting to expand its focus to new arenas, starting off with their new job board called People First Jobs. I'm catching Natalie at a very special moment, right at Wildbit's 20-year anniversary, a milestone that most businesses never reach and one that's even more rare in the fast-paced world of software. As such, this conversation is a bit more reflective and goes deep into the mindsets and worldview that have enabled Wildbit to evolve as it has. I was so excited to go deep with Natalie as she's going into Wildbit's third decade, where she's more excited and purposeful than ever. Wildbit's one of the best examples I've come across yet of the kind of company I want to see the world be full of. They are a terrific example of intentionally building an ethos and approaching a company as a container or a vehicle within which everyone can continually evolve and do fulfilling work that makes a net positive contribution to all people affected by that company. So for anyone who either runs a company or aspires to build one one day and wants to make that company amazing and full of positive impact, this conversation will inspire and guide you to make that impact and enjoy yourself on the journey. I hope you enjoy going deep into Natalie's world as much as I did. With that, I give you Natalie Nagel. Natalie, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. You have quickly become one of my sources of inspiration when I think about like, what does it look like to build the kind of company that I think should exist in the world? So it sounds like you and I have both been influenced by two people, two writers. Uh, and I'd love to hear in what ways they've influenced you. And the two writers I'm re- referencing are Cal Newport and Bo Burlingham. Cal wrote a book that I sent to everybody on my team called Deep Work. And he spent a lot of time discussing the importance of deep work, the difference between deep and shallow work, and deep work being the work that you're really hired to do, right? Like we aren't hired to sit in meetings and answer, you know, email. We're hired to do whatever it is that as knowledge workers, our our skills are, our unique abilities. And so the argument is to maximize deep work, but also be conscious of how much deep work is actually possible. In the book, Cal shared some research around the brain's capacity for deep work. Uh, Chris and I and Wild, but it's a little obsessed with focused work and deep work anyway. And so when, when I read that book, data shows that our brain maxes out at about four hours of deep, really deep work a day. And even that is extremely hard for most people. That's like four hours of a very trained, focused, probably calm mind. Uh, mm-hmm. We had an internal conversation on the team to say like, well, if four times five is 20, that's 20 hours a week and we're working 40, what are we doing for the other 20 hours? So that cat- was the catalyst for our four-day work weeks, our 32-hour work weeks was reading mm-hmm. Cal's book and thinking through that. And so through a combination of really being intentional in how we work and maximizing deep focus work and all of that, we were able to take off an entire day off of the work week. And so the whole company works 32 hours a week and we have for over three years now. And then Bo Burlingham wrote two books I actually really like. Uh, one that he's very well known for, which is Small Giants. I was actually just talking about this book yesterday. Uh, one of my favorites. I love that book. It's a wonderful book. And he goes on this journey to tr- try to discover what makes these, what he calls small giants, these companies that had a choice to go big and didn't. And some of them are big companies. So it's not really big by, by, by size of employees or size of revenue. It's 
big by, you know, either selling or making a decision that, you know, going public, like all these different, different options. And these companies chose not to and were actually really successful. And he just, he goes on this journey to understand what they all have in common. And of course, the thing they have in common is that they focus on their people. And so it's like this beautiful, uh, story of different types of organizations and the various ways in which they make that choice. Everything from a single seamstress, you know, dressmaker to large corporations, I think Cliff Bars in there, one of those. Uh, and so it's just, it's a great journey. But he wrote a second book after that, that not a lot of people have read that was really impactful to me. And uh, that book is called Finish Big. Oh, I don't know this one. Yeah. And so what he had done in part of his, when he was doing all these interviews and talking to all these companies, the thing that he would continuously ask was what's next like what do you do mm-hmm. and and all these founders were like what are you talking about next there's no next this is it this is my whole life and yeah. the way the way he writes it in, in in finish big is like what what he would follow up with is yeah but you're gonna they're, you're going to have to be out of this business at some point, whether voluntarily or on a gurney, like you're going to get out, right? So what <laughs> is the journey afterwards? And went into this research project and finished big to understand various ways to exit a business, you know, whether it's family business, selling, retiring, dying, you know, whatever, and try to understand what success look like in those scenarios. And he spent a lot of t- a lot of time, and I found it really valuable to think through what happens afterwards. And and mm. you know, one of the things that I took away from that book, from Finish Big, was he found it consistent, which isn't surprising when you say it, but a consistent thread that successful exit were ones that were planned, mm-hmm. right? So there's always like the don't don't think about selling until you have something else you really passionately want to do outside the business. Don't you know? Don't put your put yourself in a vulnerable situation. Like don't you know? There's all these all these consistent patterns around making that an intentional decision. And what you have in a lot of these small giants, right? And these companies that are so passionate about purpose and meaning and, and uh, long-term stability and, and, you know, all of these things that like are wild bit and another core of our, of our cultural, cultural being is you don't think about that, right? You don't think mm-hmm. about the exit. And I, it was just a wonderful book. And I, I recommend it to founders all the time. It's one of those things where nobody wants to think about. And I'm like, well, yeah, just read it because there is a journey there and acknowledging the fact that there is going to come a time when you're done in some capacity or another, it's nice to think about it ahead. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important, and I talk about this a lot with other founders, is the concept when you're a company like ours and you're not designed for an exit or you're not, you know, you didn't come into being to be billions or, you know, whatever, like, you know, kind of there's like a more of a story there, more of a journey. You got to kind of plan ahead that stuff. And the thing that I took away from from Finish Big that I thought was really valuable was building a business that you could sell. But when you design it that way, you end up keeping it. Because the mm-hmm. process in which you design a business to sell is you make a business that is highly function operationally really su- successful, right? It doesn't not dependent you, on you, not dependent on you, right? You have other people on the team you can trust. Like you build all this core infrastructure that then the business isn't hard to run anymore. It's not painful. It's not scary. And then you don't need to sell it because it's a beautiful thing. So you kind of like, it's a good, it's, it's important to walk that journey. And it's something Chris and I have done over the years. We're about to turn 20 and Five years ago, we had this conversation and said, uh, you know, we're 15 years old. At 20, I want to be in a place where I can sell it because I don't know if I'm going to still love it. And if I don't love it, I want to build it in a way where it's sellable. And here I am at 20 and I'm like, I don't want to sell it. I want to be here for another 10 years. And that's a beautiful thing. But we took it on this journey. We, 
you know, added leadership, we added structure, we added operational uh, changes, organizational changes, all these things to be able to create a business that, you know, wasn't reliant on us, which then meant that we built a business that was really enjoyable for us to work on because instead of growing a business and doing parts of it that we don't love, we're growing a business and optimizing on the parts that we do love. And that's just created this awesome opportunity to come up to, you know, come up at 20 years and be able to make those decisions. First of all, congratulations. Most businesses of any kind never make it that long, especially businesses in the technology and the software sector. That's so rare. But actually something you mentioned a minute ago, if I'm remembering correctly, you and your family came to the States from Russia in 1989 and your parents, like your mom was, I think, a piano player, a pianist. In some of the research I did, I heard you talk about how impactful like having creativity and the arts was in your childhood and growing up. And it reminded me of a book I really loved that I think you might really like if you haven't read it it's called Why We Make Things and Why It Matters. And it's by a guy named Peter Korn. And he talks all about the journey of being a maker of something, anything. And there's two little quotes that as I was getting ready and thinking about your journey and wild bit just seemed relevant. And I wanted to share them and kind of just see how that resonates with you and your story and your journey. He says that the primary motive for doing creative work is self-transformation. And ultimately, creative work is an experiment through which the maker seeks new ways to envision human potential using himself or herself as the laboratory. Given your journey, what do you hear in that? There's the term creatives, right? But I, I mean, I guess I would argue when I hear that, I almost think like why it's not just creatives, right? It's it's a lot of us that do this type of work, right? This kind of transition from industrial, you know, manufacturing work to, to knowledge work and the impact that that's had on us as individuals. And I think a lot about my belief that people are most fulfilled when they get to do something that's really meaningful and challenging and then see the other mm-hmm. side of that and be like, oh, I grew doing that, right? I changed. I understood more about myself or what I'm, what I'm capable of. There's a, a book that I, I like called Multipliers. And they talk a lot about kind of uh, people evaluate their best managers and consistently it was like the, the manager that was like pushed them hard, but in a loving, safe way so that mm. they came out the other side of it feeling like I did a thing I didn't know that I could do. And I grew mm-hmm. in that process. I mean, for us, the journey is has and has, when it's been most fun is when we've reflected on who we are as humans and then applied that to what we want out of the business. So like being super intentional about while bit being a vehicle, a tool to enable us to live a way, to live a certain way, to have a certain experience, for the team to have a certain experience, right? Thinking of it as really this thing that we can control. It's not, it's not out of our control. It doesn't just do a thing. It's not like this beast that's like insatiable, like it just wants to get fatter and bigger and hungrier and hungrier, right? That is what it is, right? A business, if you let it go, that's what it'll do. It's designed to mm-hmm. get bigger, right? It's got to grow. How much did you grow? What did you grow? You know, like all these things. How many employees yeah. do you have? All these, all these, all these things we hear all the time, but that the opportunity to reflect and think, all right, who am I today? Who do I want to be tomorrow? What do I want my day to look like? You know, and, and have those same questions for the team, for our products, what's their impact, right? What's their impact on the world? And really like developing that thought process is kind of the reason I do this, right? I mean, I don't, mm. I don't, I think I would be so bored if the whole goal was just to make more money. Mm-hmm. I make plenty of money. Like I don't. Like, the money's important. Like that's not. But I, I imagine a world in which I'm chasing like these these numbers and these goals because somebody told me I had to. And so, you're making maybe choices. They could be good choices, but they could also be bad choices because 
the measuring stick is like revenue growth or, you know, or profitability or whatever these things are. Yeah, sure. And there's not a lot of time to reflect and like, why am I doing these things? Why are we, why are we choosing this path? You know, is this valuable to the world? Is this valuable to my team? You know, to our customers, whoever, right? Like what are the, what's the impact? So I, I, I mean, I think that's valid. That's a valid take on all of us as, as humans, probably where there is this opportunity to look at something and say, how can I make it better? And it's what makes entrepreneurship worth it. And I've always found this so, so shocking to me when, Entrepreneurs get into this, or people start businesses, right? And they they're just like following instruction. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. You know, open a manual. All right, the internet told me to do these fifteen things. I'm going like, to do that. Craving for the template or the playbook. Yeah, like the growth hacking crap and like all of this stuff. And I'm like. I just is that really fun? But I guess like the the the, the argument there is like it's not it's about making money, and I get that too. You know, whatever. Uh, it's just not. It's never been the thing for me. It's been this like dichotomy that I think about a lot: entrepreneur versus business person. Mm. What's the difference? Yeah, what is the difference? I don't know. I mean, I th- to me, I've, I've pondered it a bunch, and I you know the way I look at it is the entrepreneur is the the you kind of do a thing because you want to prove a point. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think the business person is there to make money. And and the, the, the time I noticed it the first time the, when I started thinking about it was I had met this really wonderful person and we were having dinner together and, you know, we, it was like a new, you know, kind of like a couple's thing. And we were just like mm-hmm. meeting these people kind of getting to know them for the first time. And so I was like, what do you do? And he responded, I'm a business person. And I'm like, the hell is that? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Like I would never respond. I'm a business person. I respond. You know, I run a software company. You know, whatever. And so we we're like unpacking it, and and he was sharing. You know, he run he owns several different franchises, franchise business, like a lot of different moving parts, and mm-hmm. you know, he's got like fast food restaurants and maybe some other types of business, but like a very transactional business person, right? Where mm-hmm. where the goal is. I need to support my family and the way in which I'm going to do that is to find ways to build wealth and value in, in different, you know, financial models, right? Where, where I guess they spend most of their time in the spreadsheet, right? Like mm-hmm. figuring out mm-hmm. the PL and where's where can we have economies of scale? And you know, and I, I'm passing zero judgment. I'm just saying like, that is such a different world than the way my brain works, mm-hmm. which is in this like, how do I prove that businesses can be designed for human beings that we can be effective and efficient and also really grow fast, grow, grow well and, and be innovative and all of these things and still focus on people and not focus on this, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's a, there's a, there's a dichotomy there arguably. And I don't think you should be one way or the other. I think like, at least for me, like I would like to be a little bit more business person. It would be nice to like know how math works and not make bets. <laughs> There's times where I'm like, Oh, I don't, that's rainbows and butterflies. It'll all work out. Um, I have a great finance, that director of finance. Yeah, makes sure she's that she's I doing know. great things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're great. Everything's fine. Um, but you know, like there's, there is this question of purpose. And I found this to be true a lot. And like what you see in the software world is there is a, a still a gold rush, right? Like everybody wants mm-hmm. to launch an app. I, we have friends still, friends from high school call us and be like, and I would be like, I got an idea for an app. I'm like, I'm not in the business of building apps for you. Like, I, you know, <laughs> but, it's, but it, there is, there's this like gold rush feeling of, mm-hmm. yep. holy shit, I can make a lot of money in this. What can I build? 
and I'm not knocking it, right? Like a lot of great things come, but it's just not the way my mind, like we didn't come into this necessarily to say, oh, I see an opportunity here. Let me run into it and try to see if I can make a bunch of money. And that's where a lot of the failures happen. You know, a lot of, I think what you're seeing is there's not a, a core construct. And that's not to say you don't have to build something that people want. You obviously have to build something that people want, but you probably need to build something that has some foundation on like, why are you doing this? What is this business you're building? What's the core purpose, right? And if the core purpose is just making money, probably can make some really smart choices there. Like there's cheaper ways to make money. There's always that argument, right? Like if you're a software developer, you can go work at Facebook and make a lot of money. Oh yeah. You know, like there's, there's, if money is the only driver, owning a business is not necessarily the best approach. There's you're statistically not that's not your best bet, right? So yeah. there's you know, there's often conversations around that. Natalie, I love just about everything you just said. <laughs> just <laughs> like, about. What do you disagree with? I, well, Actually, that's right. as soon as I said that, I was like, I actually don't know anything I disagree with. So I'm going to just say it again. I love everything you just said. Uh, I, I don't have a caveat on it. I really resonate a lot with the ideas you're putting out there. I'm reading a book right now that somebody on my team recommended. It's about Ben and Jerry's and it's written by Ben and Jerry. Uh, mm. I think it's like 98 they wrote the book and they talk about values-led businesses. And I'm just like obsessed with that. I can't, I keep telling my team, like I want everybody to read this. But something you said that I think is interesting that they they bring up and that I've been processing a lot is if you think about the world and how it's evolved, you know, religion as a construct was probably was the largest thing in existence, right? Mm -hmm. Like societal structure, call it, right? Which had a social impact, right? Attached mm -hmm. to it. Then you had government, right? Which became these like law, you know, the large societal structure. And that always had a social piece to it, like a, a social, a social part of it. Corporations business is arguably, maybe not, maybe that's true. I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that, but feels like the largest societal structure we have, right? The tallest buildings are the largest employee, right? Like all these things mm -hmm. are businesses and they have no built in, there's nothing built in that designs them to build, a, to provide a positive impact to society. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's that where you stop that where you, what you, what you're feeling what I'm feeling what I think a lot of people are feeling right now in this an environment that we're in which is not a total abandonment of of business and innovation and all these things but this like internal reflection that it's become the biggest piece why isn't it also processing this need to have a positive impact to to mm -hmm. allow to to support society right to support our 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 neighbors our communities all of these things and that it, that perspective is really important because it's kind of that catalyst to change of what you know commerce and business and industry and all these things need to be because they did become so big right and 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 we protect them with this religious fervor of like you know oh you know free market like all these things that I don't want to necessarily get into but but if we mm -hmm. just think like as a business maybe we should be protecting is like hey we design this thing. It's a human construct. It's not real, right? It's not natural law. The, the the chipmunks don't have businesses, right? Like this is this is like a thing the humans created in an effort to do well for human beings, right? It should be good for us. And yeah. when and when you become so bad, so like the Ben and Jerry's, what's so fascinating about that story and what I, why I've been obsessed about it is the argument is that it's not enough. Philanthropy on its own is not enough, right? And so it's not enough to have like a piece of your business give back or, or focus. Mm -hmm. What's important is that in every decision that you make, there is a question of value, right? Like of your values. You know, there is a there is a conversation. Can we make a different decision that will have a better impact on society than if we didn't? And the only way you can do that is if you're 
your your goals are are based not not specifically on maximizing profitability or like mm-hmm. whatever your you know big grandiose mission is, but also thinking about my goal is also to make sure that I'm maximizing positive impact. So like in their case, their CEO has always had like two, two their 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 performance was based off of two metrics. Rev, per financial performance, so they're for profit, very successful business, mm-hmm. and how they align with their values, like their impact on their values. But like you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's like there's something so core there. This was a '98, and I'm like, okay, now it's 2020, and we're just having this conversation again. And it's just like I, it's in the air, right? It's it's the right mm-hmm. energy, and it's the opportunity to to allow businesses to continue to thrive, but in a way that also makes sure society thrives with them. Mm-hmm. And that's your team and your customers and your community, which to me, the environment falls on their community when I say like the four mm-hmm. constituents, because it's like, what is our impact on the world? And it better be net positive because otherwise, what the hell's the point? I so resonate with everything you're saying. It, it's very much like, how do you build better futures? Like you got to go where the people are and the people are in, they're at work, right? So it's like, you got to affect the world of work and we live our lives there. I mean, not totally, but we live a lot of our lives there. I remember I started asking myself a question that I, I think just based on some of the stuff I heard you say elsewhere, it sounds like you've thought a lot about as well. What is work? Or what's it for? My working definition of it is that work's a place we go to develop and express ourselves while contributing to something larger than ourselves. I think that I think that's that's true, and arguably, I think what most people would want. It's not what it what it is for mo- for most folks. You know, work is a necessary thing because of the way our world is structured, where you need to make money and you need to support your families. And that's core, right? That's going to be the core foundation. And also, it's a way to, as you said, like express yourself. It's a way to find fulfillment. You know, I, I, I am a believer that every single person on this planet, if given the opportunity, would want to do work at any level and do it really well and do it at a, at a, at a, in a way that makes them proud. Right. And so, like, most companies don't give people a chance to do that. They don't treat them with respect. They don't give them autonomy. They don't allow them to be, you know, in control of how work is done. Right. There's all these things on on every level, Mm -hmm. but it absolutely is both of those things. Right. It's money. And we can't, uh, anybody who doesn't talk about that is is being unfair. Right. Of course, it's money. If people were handed the same salary they're given now and told you can go spend your time with your family and your kids and create, I think a lot of people would choose that. Mm-hmm. But they can't, and so or, or they're not able to, and so that money is important, as is the opportunity to create work that they're really proud of. Which is why, like the way I look at it, is not a work-life balance, and especially you know it's been interesting to watch everybody go remote. You know, it's a integration, right? Yep. It's it's a harmony because mm-hmm. in an ideal world, in my head, work is a calm, peaceful place that creates enough flexibility that it, it flows into your life without you having to make sacrifices, right? So, you know, for us, it's like tactical things like flexible working hours. And what does that mean in principle? That means that, you know, we had uh, two guys on our team who became private pilots while at Wildbit. And like, what that means is it's good weather. And they knew that an hour ago and they're like, I'll see you later. I'm going to go fly because you can't fly in bad <laughs> weather. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's those kind of, it's, Hey, the kids, you know, I just need a break. Right. Or the kids need, or I pick up my groceries middle of the day cause it's not as busy, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it, you, you, you can ruin that by like 
attaching work to home. And then now people are like obsessively checking their phones while at the grocery store. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying truly finding an integration of work that's really meaningful. And there's a thousand mm-hmm. pieces that go with that, right? Don't give them stupid work. Don't don't make people sit in meetings that aren't meaningful, like all that, those things. But in its, in its perfect ideal form, you know, you're waking up in the morning, you're doing really great work for a couple hours. If you feel really fulfilled, you take a break, you go do some other stuff, you come back to work, you have a meeting with people you really care about. The meeting's really intentional and purposeful and it has, it has an end and it's a, you know, and it's like all that kind of stuff. But that's what we strive for. We're not perfect. There's so much more work we can always be doing, but that's what we strive for is this interconnection. When we, I think what we found is when you try to draw this like, big black line, like work is over, family starting, mm-hmm. you're actually putting mm-hmm. a bandaid on like work is, work is, work is not maybe what it should be, right? Like, yeah, we're work is draining me. Yes. And I'm, I mean, like my dream is that we do like less than, I mean, I want to do like, you know, two hours of work or five hours, you know, I want to do eight hours of work, right? Like, I don't know, three, three times, 15 hours of work, right? Three solid focus work days. And then the rest is just life, right? I mean, that's kind of the ultimate goal is can we prove that we can do enough work that's meaningful and then spend the rest of our time in leisure, which is, you know, arguably where we should be is, you know, like thinking and creating and creating, exploring good humans to each other. Right. Like that only comes with leisure and with the ability to, that's an interesting thing. Did you realize, I didn't realize this, but I recently read that like there's been this crazy shift where wealth was defined by leisure, you know, in like the twenties and thirties and like, I've heard that, but say, say more. You were rich because you like didn't work, and that was how you wanted to show ah. up. And like you know, women's clothing was all designed around like showing that this is so uncomfortable you could never do anything. Right, right. Like, like the wealth, your your wealth was identified by your your time freedom. Yes, yeah, and now our wealth is defined by how busy we are. Mm. Like you, there's like a societal stru- like Steve Jobs worked a million hours, and everybody you know, Elon Musk has 45 companies, and he doesn't sleep. He sleeps three hours and takes. And he's going to Mars. What are you doing? Right, exactly, and it's like it's this conti- com- complete switch and you know is that better for us no <laughs> for me a lot of this shift is because my background was in sort of the silicon valley tech world of entrepreneurship and i've i've had to spend like a couple years deconditioning myself and like re i mean i'm gonna be really explicit here unfucking my brain for the last couple yeah. years to like basically not worship at the altar of scale like oh like i'm not trying to build a company that growth at all costs is the point like that's i don't i don't think that is the point but you know i want to actually ask you about something specific one of wildbit's values and i think this became your top value as a company a couple of years ago is that and i'm i'm not going to get the wording right here but it's that you're effectively product agnostic and right. the company exists to serve the team and the people this is a really interesting idea to me and i think you're giving language to something that i've been trying to sort myself out about so maybe you can crack the mystery for me my bias historically has been that the sense of fulfillment I get from my work is largely driven by the impact of what I work on. Like the, what's the, what's the mission that this product as a vehicle is designed to deliver? And so when I came across the idea that Wildbit's putting forward about being product agnostic, I was like, Oh, there's something here, but I'm trying to sort myself out around. Okay. If a product is just a vehicle, what is it that? gives you that sense of fulfillment. Like you've talked, you've mentioned that word quite a few times already. Like what is it? Where does that sense of fulfillment come from for for the team? Is it from the work itself? Is it from what the company is advancing in your lives? Is it do you just do you guys really just love transactional email with postmark? Like I, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. I've tried to that's can you kind of see where I'm going? Sure. Yeah. I mean we love transactional email. But uh <laughs> okay, so some history there. 
The reason why Elbit is product agnostic is, is because we're a, we were a consulting company first. And when we got into products, nobody was ever fired who stopped doing consulting. Everybody rolled into product. We were wild bit before we were Beanstalk, before we were Postmark, before we were DeployBot, before we were right? like, but we, we were wild bit. And so that, that has, you know, made it very clear that we did not, we're not a company that came together because of some idea, right? This fulfillment you're talking about creating a product and that your fulfillment is from the value that product derives to for others, right? I, uh, we didn't have that. We were a team first that mm-hmm. built a thing that we were really excited about that we thought was going to do good in the world. And people liked it and it worked out. We were like, awesome. What else can we build? And we built another product <laughs> and like, that's how it turned out. Right. And yeah. so the way I look at product agnostic is maybe the core of what people first means. It means that your foundation is the people and that creates a sense of security because products are, the business, the, the thing that makes you money, and mm-hmm. they are susceptible to market conditions, to mm-hmm. you know, to your they own and whatever, like thing, and they come and go. Businesses, right? People don't have to come and go if you can figure out a way to tie yourself to the values and the principles and the work of the business of the team, right? And so, for mm-hmm. us, product agnostic is also a way in which to survive this long, right? Like Beanstalk plateaued. Beanstalks and maintenance was our biggest product. The reason why it's twenty mm-hmm. is because we had Postmark, right? Because we had multiple products. Because we had a team and a culture and a value system that allowed us to build the next thing, to buckle down and figure out what to do next as a team, right? To to work together to to support each other to do the work of our lives, right? Like all these things are maybe the the whole point right because if 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 we think about purpose very few of us can say that our businesses are actually like i there's very few things that i can say in the products that are like life changing right changing the world right i don't when i always say this like we're not saving lives right there's mm, there's okay. arguably like levels of work and while i think what we do in the world with transactional email is much much more ethical and better for the for the for the community and our customers and what our competitors do because we are so obsessed with like protecting from spam and sending less email and not harassing mm-hmm. your customers like all the all of mm-hmm. that it still like aligns our values i'm sending transactional email right like mm-hmm. i'm not saving lives and so mm-hmm. that fulfillment we draw on is what that does for our customers, right? What that enables our customers to do, right? Our customers are saving lives legitimately, right? And also like we're enabling them to do work that's meaningful for them, right? Because they come and they switch to Postmark and their work is, it doesn't suck and they don't hate what they do. And, you know, we find fulfillment in that and like those conversations. So what do we do? We attach ourselves to our customer, our personal relationships, right? We are very well known in the industry of having like real human support. You know mm. us. Like we are not some skit. And we do that because for our own fulfillment, we want to know our customers. We want to know that we're helping. We want to know how to make it better. Mm-hmm. We want to know how to make their days better, right? Then it's like fulfillment with each other. It's working together and figuring out what's next. What else can we do? We have an impact committee. Like we're kind of looking at the the next 10 years and saying, what's like bigger impact? What can we do bigger? What, 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 while bit as a vehicle, what can it do that's bigger than ourselves? Uh, my team, because you're right, you're, this is your brain for three years. It's been a lot of people's brain, right? How can we be more mission focused as a, as a industry, as a community, as people? Our team has been very introspective around like, what can we be doing better, right? What can we do with this profits, with the money that we're making, mm-hmm. with the products that we're building? And we're starting to veer into products that are more, a lot more, uh, maybe meaningful to the world, 
you know, in, mm. in like with people first jobs and things like that. Like we're starting to look at more opportunities for that kind of work, uh, impact work, things like that. It's it's you're deriving that meaning from a bunch of things, but you're doing it with ways that which you control it, right? If if mm. we are a team of people who care about each other, who support each other, the product, the end result is going to be amazing, but it can change. Mm-hmm. You know, because like if the the end result is a bunch of really smart, caring people putting something out into the world that customers value, that are willing to val- you know pay for, so that we can support ourselves in this kind of mission, and it's done in a meaningful way, ethical way, then like that's fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So like we're not going to build shit products, right? I'm not going to build you a marketing tech product that's going to like spy on your customers and mm-hmm. convince you to send 75 emails a day to them. I won't do it. It's like it's just not going to happen. I don't believe in it. It's ethical, you know. We don't we don't believe in the growth hacks and all of that stuff. But we will build you maybe an email marketing product that's really really ethical and follows the values of what we see in the industry: privacy, security, you know, being kind to your to your users. So that's the kind of like if that makes sense from an agnostics perspective. But it's really fun because the sky's the limit. I mean, my goal is like in the next ten years we have a non software product. That's that's the that's hmm. the crowning piece. I can retire if we've been able to prove that a team of really smart, caring people can do something completely outside the box. Like mm. Open a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the wild bit hotel. That'd be cool. Yeah. Like that's, that's the dream. It's like this idea that software or a product or even a company, right? Is a, they're all vehicles for something. Right. And it's like, okay, well what's in the vehicle? And it's like, okay, so they're ways of they're mediums maybe for channeling your passions, right. Of, creating a team, creating a culture, helping people to experience life in a certain way. I think that's a really interesting one. So when you think about... Let's talk a little bit about the next 10 years. You're at an amazing milestone right now, amazing anniversary, 20 years. Two questions. A, what's that feel like? And B, when you think about the impact you want to create and and what you want the next 10 years to look like and what you want to explore, what what does that look like for you? Uh, It's humbling, I think. Looking, you know, We're both pretty young. And so realizing that we've done something for 20 years and that is relevant, if maybe more relevant now than it was. And to, you know, reflect on the people who have taken this journey with us on the team, present, past, right? Like there's a, there's definitely, Chris and I have like a very humble, feel, feeling very humbled and very grateful. It doesn't feel like it's been 20 years, <laughs> you know, like, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, we have young kids, so it feels still really full of energy and and we get to do really fun work so it, it feels really great but i'm i'm proud of shit i mean like i i'm not going to pretend that this isn't like i i know what we've done right and i know that it was intentional and it was not an accident and i will not pretend that like we woke up one day and we were 20 years old right there's a lot of decisions some conscious some unconscious that were made over and over again that allowed us to build a, a business that survived this long and and thrived for this long right but I think it also it's given us a chance to really reflect. And what I've shared with the team over and over again is I I, I feel like I've got another ten in me, mm. and that's kind of how Chris and I looked at it. And we looked at it from a pretty practical standpoint of, um, you know, if we sold today, we wouldn't have to work, right? We'd be done. Cool. All right. Uh, what would I do? And it's back to mm. Bo's book and finish big. And I was like, the only thing I don't have in my life right now is I can't travel the world. Like I, yeah, you know, I've never lived anywhere outside of Philadelphia. So well, before Russia. But that, that was young. But so I've like, I you know, one of our dreams, one of the things that we love to do so much is to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we would do is open a hotel. I know I keep joke, joking about this, but one day it's going to happen. And so the hotel we kind of built into Wild Bit. We're like, why not? Where's the Wild Bit hotel going to be? 
Oh, I don't know. There's a couple of ideas out there. Uh, probably if it was like a hotel, hotel would be like on an island somewhere. I mean, that's okay. kind of where we'd end up. Like more all service, like service focus. Like that's what we're obsessed to do. Like little details. Yeah. We're, cra- we're crazy. But anyway, but we love to travel, right? Like that's the most important thing for us outside of, uh, you know, our families and our work. And so I can't do it. I got two kids in school. They're in great schools. They're thriving. So I got another 10 before I could even do that if I wanted to. So we kind of looked at it from a very practical standpoint. We love the work and another 10 sounds great. Like there's no reason mm-hmm. to rush it because our life wouldn't change. We'd be sitting twiddling our thumbs and like, what are we going to do? Start another wild bit? I always remember like Chris Savage at Wistia like had that realization too. And I think he shared that a bunch when he did the kind of uh, the buyback from their investors. And it was like, if we when he and Brendan sat down, they were like, we're just going to start another Wistia. Like, we have a Wistia. Why would we start another Wistia? It's hard. It's hard to do it. Why would I? Why would I go through right. that again? And I was. That's how we look. Like we'd start another wild bit. That doesn't make sense. Like I'd want to work with every single person that was here, right? Like, so that just doesn't make sense. So anyway, told the team we have another ten. And the reason for saying that was I think it gives Chris and I a sense of like another milestone. Entrepreneurship can be really difficult. Like you do this for twenty mm-hmm. years. Like you don't get to change jobs. You don't get, you know, like you kind of, it is what you get, it is what you make of it. And so saying another 10 is like, okay, I can see another milestone. Maybe we still want to do it in a 10 after that. Cool. I have no idea what the world's going to look like in 10 years, but I can at least see like, okay, I've got like another journey. And so then the reflection was, art, what does those 10 years look like? Where's mm-hmm. the, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And we're looking at it as like the third act because we've had while, but the first act was consulting while, but the second act has been product work and as we've seen it. And the third act is, uh, What's the reason for the what, what's the reason for it, right? What's the reason for the mm. profits, and how do you operationalize being people first? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think I want to spend a lot of my time is understanding. And Chris wants to spend his time is understanding how we can be people first in in how we run the business and how we operate the business and how we how we look at innovation because we're a company that builds lots of products, right? It's what we do. It's what we love to do. We're going to keep doing it. What's that look like? How do you operationalize that? How do you scale that, right? Like, How do you make sure that there's opportunities for folks to move around to different places, but in a safe way that we don't spread ourselves out too thin? And then like, what's the impact? And for mm-hmm. me, there's like, there's, uh, I spend a lot of time in nonprofits on my free time, on my Fridays. It's, uh, it's the only work I'd probably ever do if I wasn't working here was be, you know, in nonprofit work. And there's a big part of our DNA that looks at wild bit and, and says, what, what can we do to make impact outside of our customers and our products? Like, how can we mm-hmm. impact our communities? And I want to, I want to make that a thing. Like, I don't want it to just be this, you know, oh, somebody asked me for a donation and I make it or like team volunteers on Fridays. We're looking at it and say like, no, like we're going to actually put, put our money where our mouth is. And we have these four day work weeks and day five on Fridays, we started a mentorship program, an external mentorship program with a small group of our team to like trial this thing out um, for underrepresented folks in technology. And, and so that mm-hmm. kicks off next week. We're doing nonprofit work. The team's volunteering their time to help with a few different nonprofits, planning to hire a director of impact to like have a full-time per- or a, a dedicated person to do this work. And, and that's the journey, right? Is like, can we create a model or be a model for how to take that? So what you and I started this conversation with, take that next step to say values-led intentional decision-making that has more impact than just making me money. I make money. Mm-hmm. I make a lot of it, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how do we make sure that this is this amazing opportunity, this vehicle for impact? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what we're looking at. So it's like this 10 year plan, it's calling it a 10 year strategic plan, uh, bringing on some, you know, my got this amazing team that's just so committed to this work, million unknowns. 
But the goal is is there. It's to see how can we positively impact our team? How can we positively impact our customers with products that mean something that continue to create value for them, make their lives easier? And then how do we impact the community? Like And, and do it really intentionally. Uh, we're looking at B Corp. Uh, we have for a while, but I love their model of double bottom line. So that's something we're spending a lot of time investigating, thinking about, uh, you know, looking at the different avenues in which we can create impact. And then, you know, after reading Ben and Jerry's book, I'm, they have this whole system of like really looking at the different parts of their business and saying each one can have impact, right? You don't have to have like a single, mm-hmm. they have, they have themes, missions and, you know, for the, mm-hmm. for the year or for two, but in each, uh, in each org structure, they also say like, there's impact to be had, have it, right? So the the, the example mm-hmm. was like, if we're only focused on families, you know, and, and creating safe spaces for families, and that's the the organization or the, the mission for, for the year, there, somebody in receiving, you know, or shipping might lose an opportunity to help mentor folks in the community to, to join, mm-hmm. you know, to have living wage jobs. So like, looking at each piece of the business and saying, all right, Where's the decision? What are the options? And how do we make the one that has the most impact? So it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's such an awesome journey. I mean, it's just like so much fun. And I think where uh, my heart is, I don't want to be alone in this. Mm-hmm. I don't, I know there are many companies out there. That's why we launched People First Jobs because we know there are companies out there that want to be people first, that are people first, that care deeply about this, that want to think through these things. And, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to meet them. I want to know them. I want to learn from them. And I want to figure out Mm -hmm. a way that we can be a louder voice, right? This podcast, right? Like a louder voice and a good example of, hey, we are a growing, profitable, innovative, very, very uh, successful company. And yet our goals are not grow at all costs, maximize shareholder value, right? So who, who else is out there and who wants to be part of this? And can we inspire other young folks? I meet early founders all the time who are like, I heard you say something, you know, I heard you speak or I heard this, and I, I felt it in my core, but I didn't know it was allowed because when I read the internet, I'm told that these are not things that are allowed. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed. But businesses do. Businesses don't do this. It's just, you're not mm-hmm. going to be successful. Or my favorite, you're not going to be as successful. As successful as who? Yeah, it's it's like, well, who's your comparison set? Exactly. I think my friend Amy Hoy the other day tweeted something like, if you're if you want to be better than the next guy, you're never going to win. Like if that's your, mm. you know, your measuring stick, because there's always going to be somebody who's going to be bigger than you, going to make more money than you, going to do better than you, and it's like you're chasing yeah. wrong, you're going to fail. So like figure out figure out what you're chasing. It's really exciting to hear that because similar to what you're doing, like that's that's my goal with my career too, is to build these kind of companies and enable other people to build these kind of companies, which is why I'm doing this podcast. Like that's the whole point is to make companies that matter. Yeah, I mean, it's not. You said like it's it's hard. I I heard you say you know like it's hard not to compare yourself. You know, we run into that all the time. We've been around for 20 years and there's companies a lot younger than us that are making more revenue. And I'm like, every once in a while, I'll be like, am I doing something wrong? And then I have to like, oh no, remember, like these were intentional choices you made, right? Mm -hmm. You made decisions and took a path and it's okay. But I, you know, I get stuck in that stuff too. I'm a human being, right? I'm competitive. Every entrepreneur, whether they want to admit to or not, have have an ego they have to fight and Mm -hmm. embrace. An ego they have to embrace. You don't have to fight your ego, but you have to embrace it for what it is. And, you know, there's plenty of moments where I'm like, why am I not, you know, 
30 under when I turned 30, I was really sad. I was like, I didn't make it under 30 under 30. And then I had, I had an advisor who's like, you have to pay for that shit. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> 40 under 40? No. Uh, but you know, like I still have those, like those, those moments where I'm like, oh, why didn't I do that? Or how come this person didn't? It's hard. It's, and that's why you have to ground yourself in the values and the purpose, right? The team knows this. It's, it's constant work. It's a practice. I don't wake up like this every morning thinking, you know, this is how it's going to be. It's like there's moments where Chris or I or together will be like down and grumpy and needing to like reground mm. ourselves and have conversations and rethink. All right, you know, there's days when it's hard. I'm like, why are we still doing this? Yeah. What do you What do you come back to? Like when when you're in those tough moments, what is it that you return to to keep you going? Like, what's that north star for you? What's that impact you want to create next? Like, what is it that keeps you fueled up? My first reaction is always the team. There's always like, if I'm hurt or if I'm down, it's like there's an impact on the team and I have to figure that one out. And then I have to figure out what my decisions always I mean. Who's going to impact the most after ourselves is going to be the team, right? Mm-hmm. In that order, right? Like us, the team, the customers, and the community, right? Like it's going to be in that order. And so it's, it's a reflection of like, of that, the team. But then there's always like, only because we've done this enough and had enough conversations that it's usually a, Really matter of fact, like one of us is reminding the other one, like we've talked about this, like, what are you going to do? Nothing, right? Like, let's get like sleep on mm-hmm. it. Let's come back to it tomorrow. But there's another, I mean, especially in the last six months, it's been so hard and I'm exhausted, um, mentally drained yeah. from all of why non wild, the wild, it's doing great, you know, and yeah, just the craziness of 2020. Yeah. The, t- the team has rallied and made good choices and we're working really hard and, you know, we're fine, but I get tired and there's times that I'm like, is this still like I want to do this for ten years, and then I just go back to all right. What don't I? What don't I like? What are my feelings right now? Like yesterday, I had a day full of meetings, and I was feeling mm. really energized in the morning. And by the end of the day, I was really drained, and I came home and I was grumpy with the kids. And I, so, like, I I just had to really process that. Like, really, just really okay. What did I do wrong? I didn't exercise. Okay, that's a big one because it helps my brain kind of just flush things out. And then it was you know, what meetings did I have and what was draining? And is there somebody else on the team that could have taken that? Is that a project I should have delayed? Do I have too many projects on my plate, right? It's it's a I, the cheapest, the easiest way, the simplest way is just I forget I don't want to do it anymore. But I know that I'd wake mm-hmm. up the next morning and be like, well, that was not the greatest choice. The harder is to reflect and say, all right, what do I have to change? What do I have to do? And sometimes it's really energizing and sometimes it's exhausting. Most of the time it's energizing, which is why I keep doing it. But there's this shit is hard. <laughs> and I have the best team in the world, the most like I'm so supported and so loved and I feel so grateful for them and this shit is hard. And so if you have those days, I don't ever want people to think that they sometimes they hear me and they think it's like all put together and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, no, no. No, please don't. Please don't ever like, think no, no, that." No, no, no. No, it's a dumpster fire in my brain, but it works. It works most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's your dumpster fire. But it's mine and it's special and it's you know. <laughs> but it's really good and 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 maybe that's the maybe that's the key message that that I think the 10 years feels important is you got to a point we got to a point where like if it's just about building, you know, scaling operations and and you know, finances and being, you know, capital efficient. It's like I don't think either one of us really enjoys that. Like that's not Yeah, like doesn't get you going. Yeah, but that it's like a tool, right? That's like again, another like it's important and I it really it, it I love that stuff because it lets me, you know, I could see how we can move things around and how we can get to where mm-hmm. we want to go because 
what's inspiring us is these bigger missions, right? Like for Chris, he loves product and he loves working with the team on products, right? He loves like those early or early glimmers of a product and iterating quickly and playing around with stuff and solving big challenging problems and understanding that like he get such joy out of that. It's why Wildbit has the product. I mean, he, they're his products, not mine, right? And so designing an entire world in which he gets to do that is important. If that doesn't work, then he doesn't want to be here anymore, right? And that, that's where it's like, it's a little chaotic. It's kind of stressful, but the result is this beautiful opportunity. We know it's going to be good for the business. We know it's going to be good for Chris. And so like, that's important, right? For me, it's this like bigger social mission. And I know that if I have that to wake up to, then even when it's hard, it's like, yeah, no, but we're doing something here. Yeah. And if I walk away, what am I going to do? Like, this means something to me, like, really deep down to prove this point. That's my ego, right? To prove this point that you can build these businesses that are highly successful, innovative, growing, like all these things, but prioritizing people, like, wouldn't that be amazing? What if, what if, yeah. right? Like, think about the net positive of that, right? Like, if yeah. small businesses, I'm not a huge business, I'm a tiny business, and but there's a lot of us. And so, like, if there was yeah. a lot more of us, the ripple effect of all of these businesses and then fulfill people that work for these businesses and customers that have better experiences in the communities and the vendors and all these things, right? Like, your suppliers, right? Like, think about the ripple effects of mm-hmm. that positive energy, the, 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 the people who are, you know, fulfilled financially, fulfilled emotionally, and and all of insecure, and their families, and their, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like it's the, it's it's endless, and that yeah. change, right? And so that wakes me up in the morning, mm-hmm. and that definitely gets me out of my ruts. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is a journey, but it's a worthy one. So it's fun. Awesome. Well, now let's close out with a couple of rapid fire questions here. So these are just really short questions. Your answers can be as long as you want. So the first one is, what's the thing that you know best? Uh, myself. That's a good answer. I think a lot of people wouldn't say that. So that's that's a really good thing. What's a quote or a saying that's important to you, and what about it speaks to you? Uh, last couple of weeks, it's been. I think is it the. RBG's quote that do things that pick something or choose something that makes an impact, but do it in a way that has others follow. Mm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm butchering the exact words, but I, the world is in a, a, a difficult place right now. And there's a lot of things that we can do better. And I think a lot about how to do it in a way that it's not just me yelling into the, into the void, but really finding ways to bring others along with you so that you have enough support to actually make change. And so I, while I, I think there's, it's important to have the, the yelling into the void too, right? You need all the things. But I think for me personally, I, I, I'm always like, all right, now what do we do? Like boots on the mm-hmm. ground. How do we make impact? And how do we do it in a way that that brings as many people as you can along with you? Um, and it's kind of what I think about as leadership in general, right? Like part of a, a leader's, my view of leadership is at least 50% this ability to just bring people together and convince them of a goal and, and support them in it and allow them to thrive, right? My job is to not be the smartest person in the room, but probably one of the people who can, who can bring us all to the table together, right? And to project... Mm-hmm. a unified value based message right based on mm-hmm. who we are and so i think a lot about like how do you how do you do that and, but do it in a way that brings people with you i think is a, is really important mm. well said and then at this point in your life or this stage right 20 years in going into the next 10 what does success look like for you now <laughs> oh my... whatever your definition of that is oh gosh oh i don't know that's Man, that's a hard one. I uh, to me, success 
what I, how about this? My next, I'll be successful when I have a team that can do more work so I can do less. And where I am much more intentional, like I have enough clarity in my purpose that I am much more intentional with what I do. I am very busy right now and I don't like it. Like to what, to what we said earlier. Do you feel successful already? Success is a funny thing. I, yeah, of course. Right. Like I have everything I need. I yeah. have an incredible team. I'm asked to do things like this, which obviously feel great that people want to hear me speak and want to hear my thoughts. I, you know, I think my team loves me and I love them very much. And so I feel very successful from that perspective. But I also, I, I think I have this like constant, I'm very bad at celebrating today. I'm always looking at mm. the next things. Like we hit a milestone that feels really important and I'm already like, on the cool, next what's one. next? Yeah. Like yeah. that's part of that's the immigrant story, right? I think my father was always like that. It was like this fear of like living in the happiness because there's mm-hmm. you just gotta no it's not but just move on to the next one right like my therapist says i have a fear of negative emotions sure i would be i would be an asshole if i said like no i don't feel successful of course i do but i think there's uh there's different points in it and for me the next one is we've done all this work and i'm so busy that my head hurts and i mean to my kids when i come home that's not success right so mm. finding my equilibrium again and finding a way to to slow down would be really important. Part of it is just the time of the world, right? And I feel like oddly things have just really picked up in the last couple months. I think like people are starting to come back and realizing that we got to live with this and we got to figure out a way forward. And I'm just I'm extremely busy. And part of it is just we have so many exciting projects to do and I want to be part of them. But I'd like to find my equal balance again and and have what I have but be a little bit more mentally grounded. Another guest that was on the show uh, her name's Laura Garnett, and she wrote a book called The Genius Habit, which I think is a really good one for people to think about how they find work that lights them on fire intellectually and fills them up emotionally. And at the very end of our conversation, she shared with me something that has changed how I've looked at success. And so I wanted to share it with you. She said, I'm already successful and I have an ever expanding vision. And that's, that's beautiful. And, and that's probably a really great way to, of articulating it because I, I do think that there's and important, it's important to pause and reflect and be like, okay, I did a good thing. Like we're good, right? But I can also want more. And uh, it's this—that's an internal struggle because something I, I talk about a lot with the team is defining enough. Mm. And you know, I think part of it is my personality too, which is something I battle all the time. Is not on my own. Like I don't, I don't see enough, and I don't stop and reflect on the positive moments and I'm constantly and it's it's actually exhausting. Mm. And there is like I think I think she's right that yes I'm successful and I want more and I'm not saying you have to stop but there is probably and that's kind of maybe a better way of putting what I'm striving for is I want to like enjoy that success mm-hmm. and be at peace with it, you know, and and really like lean into it and I'm because I'm chasing the next thing, I haven't I haven't been able to just like live in it. And it's also like moments when work gets really hard for us and for Chris and I, and moments when we're like, do we want to do this for another 10 years is when we're so busy and so like tired mm. or like, well, if we didn't have to do this anymore, we would be fine. Right. We'd like take long walks all day and read more books that, you know, don't have to do with business. Like I really don't want to read business books, but <laughs> I'm reading the Ben and Jerry's ones because it's really impactful. But otherwise I'm trying to like stay away from business books and, you know, just find that space 
And so when I, when we get to that point, it's like, that's when I'm like, okay, I got to make changes, right? Because I can do that now. I don't have to sell the business or stop working to do that. I just need to be intentional about the changes I make. And so I, I, I'm, I'm bad at it, like defining enough. And I, whoa, but I'm preaching all the time that I want the team to find enough. I want knowledge workers to find enough because that ability to like, say, you know, like that, like I have to put a hundred widgets on the conveyor belt. And when that's done, I'm done. Right. We don't have it done. Right. There's more work yeah. to write. There's more code to write. There's more ideas. There's more strategic projects. Right. Defining done, defining enough is part of our challenge, all of us. Right. Enough, big enough business. Should I be a billionaire? Right. Like, is that, you know, all these things. Right. Yeah. When do I get to feel like I did it? Right. Right. And I, you know, that's a, that's like a shitty feeling. And, and I, a part of that's just my personality. It's something like, I'm telling you, like my therapist is always like, I'll, I'll tell her something like how I'll tell her a good thing. And I'm already on the next thing. And she's like, can you stop? And can we just like talk about this really good thing that happened? Like just spend <laughs> a minute, like just sit there with it. And I'm like, oh yeah, good call. It's an important thing. And the only way I've been able to focus, uh, find it is being really specific with it. So what is, what is that? You know, so financially, and I'll do this with founders, I think my favorite exercise. And I'll be like, all right, uh, how much money do you need to make? Nobody ever knows the answer to that question. Or they'll say like $100 million. I'm like, okay, cool. So write it down. What are you going to spend it? Like your year's worth of like expenses. Like pick your fam- the, the house you want, right? The schools you want, the cars you want, the vacations. You just go, write it, all the stuff. And they're always so shocked by how little money they actually need. Like there's this like perception, like there is, yes, you want a private jet and you want, fine, maybe, okay. You want to own a football team, fine. But like for most of us, you can live like the nicest life. Mm-hmm. And not need more than a million dollars, and a million is a lot of money. But like for mm-hmm. when you're thinking about growth, like at margins for SaaS products, that could be a three million dollar business. Mm-hmm. That doesn't need to be a thirty million dollar business, right? So like yeah. you start doing these things, and like those are like small tactical things. Like for for Chris, enough is um, or success is being able to take an hour walk every day mm. and not feel guilty about it. So like you get really specific for me or for him. It's like really, so it's not this like arbitrary thing like i'm successful when i stop working if we can start building that into our our actual presence if you could feel it all along the way like how much better would that ride be right and so like it's not perfect like i said i'm so busy and i'm in all these meetings and it's really stressing me out but it's knowing that like okay well what would be good if i had two solid four-hour blocks a week you know if my fridays were less busy if whatever you know and then just starting to chip away at it and so they become more concrete and more like you can actually check them off there is no pie in the sky. You sell it all. And then you're like, yeah, you twiddle your thumbs. Maybe you go on a couple of cool trips. And then you're like, now what do I do? Like, It's in our DNA. Like, We can't sit still. There's like a fire under our butts. There's only so many like martinis or margaritas or daiquiris or whatever you can sit oh, on. So there's, many a lot, there's a lot of margaritas. But yes, but you know, <laughs> I have a personal relationship with tequila. But yes, exactly. So like building it into the journey is beautiful. Like like you said, is uh, being specific about it, right? And just like, okay, well, what does that draw it out? What does it look like? I'm always like, draw it out. To write it out, right? What is it? You know, what do you want? Like, I want to enjoy this work now and I want to be here with it. I can't tell you how many friends I've had that have scaled a thing to a thing. And then they're like, oh my God, I don't even like this thing anymore. And they're already on the next thing. Not because they miss and and that's risky, right? And you're like starting. It's just the whole process is sad when it's it's ours. It belongs to us. It does not belong to anybody else. And we get to do whatever the hell we want with it. And that is the beautiful thing. And then the result is products that customers love and can rely on and trust. And they trust us with their money and we, you know, we do good things with it. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Well, I feel like that's a beautiful place to wrap this up. Hopefully, this will be around one. I think there's going to be lots of fun updates as you navigate the next 10 years that I look forward to hearing about. So, Natalie, first off, thank you so much for being here. 
congrats on an amazing, well-deserved anniversary. And uh, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. What would you like to leave the listener with? Uh, well, thank you. I mean, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. But I think if nothing, it's that last bit, right? All these businesses, they belong to us. And I just want people to constantly ask themselves why, why it exists, what is its purpose, what do you want from it, and then solve for that because there's no reason not to. And that's when joy comes out of it, right? And, and longevity. It's the only reason we're around for 20 years. And it's the only reason I'm going to be around for at least another 10 is because you get to just keep asking yourself that question and course correcting over and over and over again to make sure that you nail it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us reach way more people and build this community up. For show notes, links to the resources, and everything else we discussed, please go to enliven.fm. Feel free to reach out with questions, feedback, or just to say hello by emailing connect at enliven.fm. Be sure to subscribe, and until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. We'll see you soon.